Hello, hello, lovely listeners, all of you ghouls and goblins, and everything in between. Welcome to Across the Veil with Zelda Kimball and Emma Ragsdale. I don't know about you, Zelda, but I feel like it's been a minute since I told our lovely listeners a scary story. I know, I feel like I've been doing some history, I've been doing some goofy, Mm -hmm. but we haven't scared the shit out of anyone yet. We're we're lacking in spook. We're a buffet of paranormal activity. Sometimes it's silly, sometimes it's spooky, Mm -hmm. and Emma likes to do batshit terrifying things, and that's why we love her. (laughs) That's what I bring to the table. Batshit terrifying things. You're welcome. Today, I'm going to tell you all about a horrible hag, ogress, all-around crazy gal from 17th to 19th century English folklore. I thought you were from Pennsylvania. (laughs) My hag roots go way back. While she's mainly known in England, possible references to her have cropped up in folklore from other cultures, mythology, and even historical tomes. So, let's get into the tale and historical background, of course, of Black Annis. Two miles outside of the city of Leicester lies the Dane Hills. What's now a bustling suburbia was once covered in wilderness, and in those ancient woods sat a small cave. Legend has it that hundreds of years ago, the cave was home to one of the most terrifying figures in English folklore. She's borne many names over the years, Black Anna, Black Agnes, and Cat Anna, but most know her as Black Annis, a horrible ogress with a particular taste for children. She had pale, corpse-blue skin, tangled black hair, iron talons, and a terrible grin with discolored, long, razor-sharp teeth. Traditionally, she was believed to only have one eye, and some say that she was unnaturally tall and thin. No, it is interesting, the A, cave women, because I know we've done a different, like, Mm cave-dwelling English person, so I think that might be a big historical folklore point is like Mm -hmm. people think caves are scary let's put women in them well actually i'm gonna get into that yes yes we've been doing this for so long that we can almost predict parts of stories it's fun for us we're soothsayers soothsayer it's said that black annis carved the cave herself using naught but her long sharp nails to tear into the sandstone the walls of the horrible cave called black annis's bower were adorned with the bones of her past victims and the floor was stained with their blood. It reeked of rotting flesh. At the mouth of the cave grew an old oak tree in which Black Annis would hide, crouch so that she could pounce upon unsuspecting children who had wandered too far into the woods. She carried her prey off into her cave, where she sucked them dry of blood, flayed the skin off their entire body, then feasted on the flesh she ripped from their bodies with her talons, delighting in the taste of their fear as she gnawed on their bones. When the monstrous hag was done, she draped the flayed skin of her victim onto the oak tree's branches, leaving them out to dry so she could fashion them into a skirt sewn from their leathered skin. Project Runway who? Thrifty Queen who? Thrifty Queen who? HGTV who? <laughs> Listen, she built her cave herself. Uh-huh. That's a sleigh. That's a sleigh. She's decorated herself. Mm-hmm. That's a sleigh. She makes her own clothes. Sleigh. She she catches her own prey. I could never. No, I couldn't. Like, listen, this woman is a sustainable beast. She is. She knows how to decorate, too. Like, she makes the house and she does the decor. Pretty it's talented. Gi- it's giving Buffalo Bill, but girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> if no one passed by her cave, Black Annis would roam the countryside under cover of nightfall, searching for victims to feast upon. Livestock, like sheep, would do, as would adults, but children were truly her favorite. 
The townsfolk knew she was coming when haunting wails and screeches began to echo throughout the hills. It said that you could hear her howling up to five miles away. If no one ventured into the woods, she would wander into town. As she drew closer, footsteps and the sound of chattering teeth filled the air. Tradition states that the sound of her grinding teeth was so loud that it served as a warning sign and gave those who heard her time to bolt their doors and keep away from windows. It's said that locals in the area believed that Black Annis would reach her long, spindly arms into their windows to snatch up children and babies to bring back to her lair. As there was no window glass, the townsfolk would tie protective witch herbs above the apertures and fasten skins across the window to keep her out. In fact, fear of Black Annis might have been the reason why the people of 18th century Leicester built their houses with as few and as narrow windows as possible. Also, maybe because it was super cold and, you know, windows let in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Science, science, science. <laughs> That's what you're usually for. <laughs> no, it's so. I was actually thinking the exact same thing in my head. No, or, but, but it is great because, like, this goes back to more of the folklore that we usually talk about is that there's fail safes to put yeah. in. So, like, yes, these are stories. Yes, she's going to come get you. Mm-hmm. But there's always a fail safe, always. Like, yeah. you can always prevent her somehow. And also, another interesting thing to go on to on the more science thing, like, putting up, like, dried skins over windows would probably help keep the cold out. And, like, a little thing about Black Annis is that she may have represented the cold a tiny bit, mm-hmm. like, with the pale blue skin. So it could have been reaching, like, the winter cold reaching into windows, so you want to keep something out. It's another fascinating facet of folklore becoming scientific. Yeah, exactly. Like having it have a reason. Mm-hmm. Fascinating facet of folklore. That's a good one. I, and I didn't trip up You fucking crushed that. it, dude. It. Throughout history, there have always been monsters in the woods to scare children. And Black Annis is no different. Stories of Black Annis's harrowing acts served as a cautionary tale for parents to tell children, to remind them to stay vigilant and cautious when venturing off into the unknown. You never know what might be lurking in the shadows. So, the earliest known written reference to Black Annis was from an 18th century title deed dated on May 13th and 14th of 1764 that referred to a parcel of land known as Black Annie's Bower Close. So, we do know for a fact that the cave existed. Additionally, according to historian Catherine Briggs, in the 1700s, there was a super fucked up drag hunt that happened on Easter Monday, aka Black Monday. What's a drag hunt? So, this literally makes me ill. A little content warning. The town leaders would visit Black Annis's bower to witness the tailing of a cat before a pack of hounds in order to welcome the spring. So, it was literally a cat that they murdered in front of the cave, strung it up from the tail of a horse, and then covered it in something like this weird oil, and then had hounds chase the cat, which was tied to the horse, all the way into town to the mayor's house. And people fucking loved it. And we know this because of a historian named Throsby, who literally wrote a poem about this. And it makes me ill. It makes me fucking sick. Nasty. How fucking bored do you have to be? Exactly. How fucking bored. A A to watch it. B to come up with this shit. Right? How much alone time do you have to have to be like, yeah, let's kill a cat, torture a horse, and make dogs chase it? No offense, Mm -hmm. but Black Ennis is, for every child she's killed, it's like, if they came from that town who, like, enjoyed that Mm -hmm. shit, child murder is bad. It's bad. We we do need to say child murder is bad. We don't, we do not support child murder. We're very against child murder. We are in favor of retaliating against a town who is cruel. Yes. I'm very into that Mm -hmm. kind of fairy tale aspect. Exactly. Fuck these people. Fuck these people. (laughs) 
That's just, and this is like historical fact. Like this actually happened. Like people did this for funsies. Yes, this was for funsies. This was a cute little little weekend outing for Easter. Monday outing, really. Yeah, for fucking Easter. Listen, I've not been to a lot of church, but I do not think the big guy, JC, Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ, would be into any of this. I don't think so either. There's no way this was in the Bible. No. The the tailing of a cat cannot be in the Bible. Actually, you know what? I don't know what the fuck is in the Bible. They do a lot of fucked up shit, but I don't think they're tailing any cats. But also, we have to keep in mind, though, that people at the time fucking hated cats. Or at least kind of hated cats, because they were like, ah, witch. It, it's just cruelty for the sake of cruelty. Yes. So we don't really know if they created the tradition because of the folklore behind Black Annis, because it connects in a lot of interesting ways, mm-hmm. as fucked up as it is. It does seem likely that it's at the very least related due to the writing that would follow after it. And her other name, her little alias, Cat Anna, may have stemmed from this. So that's another connection. It also means that they could have viewed her as like a hag and a bringer of death and winter. But I'm going to go into those details a bit later. Yeah. And it's also like people A hated women mm-hmm. and B hated cats. Yep. Which are like, all. Oh, that's like my whole thing. <laughs> Girlies be like, I was born in the wrong century. We weren't. No, we weren't. <laughs> We're still alive, aren't we? We're not burned at the stake. We would have been. We would have been. Yes, we would have. Medium rare. (laughs) Baked Alaska. (laughs) Cover me in ice cream, then set me on fire. What a way to go. Honestly. (laughs) A pretty sweet ending. (laughs) (laughs) I have to go. I have to go. I have to move. (laughs) I'm glad we're fucked up in the same way. Me too. Thank God. So while we have those early primary sources as reference to the cave's existence and the name Black Annis, the actual oral folktales weren't preserved on paper until the late 1790s. Around 1797, a man named John Hayrick wrote a poem entitled On a Cave Called Black Annis's Bower. It's unclear if the poem created some of the folklore or simply put what he had heard into a more palatable way to listen and learn and share, but it's where we get most of our modern conceptions and ideas on Black Annis. And as a fun, nerdy note for all of you Shakespeare buffs like me and Zelda, the poem was written in iambic pentameter. Oh, yay. Heartbeat. Heartbeat, yeah. yeah. For those of you who don't know Shakespeare, iambic pentameter sounds like a heartbeat. Yes. Here's a slightly edited excerpt of said poem. Where down the plain the winding pathway falls From Glenfieldville to Leicester's ancient walls Nature or art with imitative power Far in the glen has placed Black Annis's bower Here, if the uncouth song of former days Soil not the page with falsehood's artful lays Black Annis held her solitary reign The dread and wonder of the neighboring plain The shepherd grieved to view his waning flock, and traced his firstlings to the gloomy rock. No vagrant children culled the florist then, for infant blood off-stained the gory den. Tis said the soul of mortal man recoiled to view black Annis's eye so fierce and wild. Vast talons foul with human flesh there grew in place of hands, and features livid blue glared in her visage while the obscene waste, warm skins of human victims, close embraced. The poem ends with a man defeating the monster, but leaving the cave open for future generations to see the horrors that lay within, to inspire them to retell the tale. It's not supposed to be like a nonfiction story. It's a poem used as another warning to keep kids out of the woods. 
which, as we've said before, is a pretty big theme in our podcasts. Tales of Black Annis, in terms of written records, died down for the first half of the 1800s. The depiction of her resurfaced in 1846 when author John Dudley published his book, Neology. But she was brought back into popular vernacular in an interesting exchange printed in multiple issues of the Leicester Chronicle in 1874. So on September 5th, in a writing section of the paper, someone using the name Amica asked what anyone knew about Black Anna. A much more ominous personage in those days, whether real or fictitious, was Black Anna. Little children who went to run on the Dane Hills were assured that she lay in wait there, to snatch them away to her bower, and that many like themselves she had scratched to death with her claws, sucked their blood, and hung their skin up to dry. A month later, someone named FRHS, which probably stands for the Fellow of the Royal Historical Society, replied, In addition to the feats mentioned by Amica, Black Anna was said to be in the habit of crouching among the branches of the old pollard oak, ever ready to spring, like a wild beast on any stray children passing below. The cave, she was traditionally said, to have dug out of the solid rock with her fingernails. On my last visit to the bower closed, the trunk of the tree was still standing, but I know not if it remains. The fellow also theorized about who the real Annis may have been, thinking that it may have been the name of the property's owner. Another man later joined the conversation to say that he located the land deeds from 1764 that I mentioned earlier. But this leads me perfectly into my next little historical section. Who was Black Annis? Where does she come from? As with all folklore mythology, there are a lot of theories. Some believe that the legend may go back to the mother goddesses of ancient Europe, which some contend were thought of as devourers of children. She's been compared to the Indic Kali, the Gaelic Kaliach, Hel, and even more. Others believe that she may have been a remnant of the Celtic goddess Anu or Danu, saying that perhaps she turned vengeful during the raising of pagan worship. The author of Neology, John Dudley, also suggested that maybe Black Annis's devouring of children reflected cannibalistic rites that were conducted by the British for Anu. However, this is all bullshit. If you look up anything about Black Annis, they're gonna mention it. It's bullshit. There's no evidence that anything like that took place. And I only mention it because you might see this connection between Annis to Anu to old rituals. And I just want to shut that down. So the misconception that she's the personification of a Celtic goddess, or really goddesses in general, probably stems from confusion in the Victorian era of the similarly named Agnes Scott, which is another theory and a real person. And this theory is a little sad, so prepare yourself. In a parish of Leicestershire called Swithland, there's a church with a plaque and a veiled statue for a woman named Agnes Scott. Agnes Scott was a medieval nun, possibly Dominican, born in the 15th century who lived the life of an anchoress, which is essentially a woman who chooses to withdraw from the world and live a solitary life of prayer. According to a Latin inscription on her plaque, she's believed to have lived in a cave near the Dane Hills where she ran a leper colony. So it's possible that the memory of an old lady who lived in a cave near the hills may have stuck with people in the area and was distorted into a legend to scare children into behaving. So it could have been this nice old lady helping out lepers and stuff. Victorians took her and were like, you know what? You sound scary, you fucking witch. I love that they do that. Right? Isn't it, isn't it fun to create monsters out of... People doing their own thing. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're not societally acceptable? Monster. Most historians disagree with all the folklore and goddess theories. At most, she might be related to the supernatural hags in British folklore. Her blue face is reminiscent of the Kaliakbur, aka the blue hag of the highlands, but that's about it. 
Most tend towards Agnes Scott because there is actual historical documentation there. Urban legends usually form from distortion of fact or folklore, so who really knows what it is? But it's another fun instance of legends from different cultures relating to each other. Mm -hmm. No, but it's kind of like toxic stories getting spread mm -hmm. throughout, you know, small communities yeah. and just blown way out of proportion. And also taking historical legends from other cultures and possibly twisting them into something new. Mm -hmm. Or even a woman who's not from this place marries a guy from Leicester and she's mm -hmm. she brings this folklore to her yeah. family. And if they marry within the town, they'll bring it to their family. Because mm -hmm. what we need to know about England is it's much smaller yeah. than <laughs> places like America are. It's tiny. So people are constantly kind of traveling between mm -hmm. places. Yeah. So it is just kind of like a cultural cachet almost of stories and folklore. Absolutely. That's a really good point, Zelda. Yeah, so I, I just wonder if, like, they've put a bunch of folklore in and smoothied it over the years, yeah. and that's why everything sounds a little familiar. That's it's... kind of the sense that I get from a lot of British folklore. Mm -hmm. Which is lovely to yeah. hear, because there, there's a little flavor mm -hmm. in each of them. There is something interesting, but if you pick apart the threads of this tapestry, you're like, oh, this is just one blanket. I love that. I would like to also note that you might hear Black Annis described as a witch, but none of the traditional folklore describe her as such. There's no references to broomsticks, familiars, spells, or even the devil. She falls more into like the monster ogress hag category, or a savage woman, which is a spin-off of British folklore's savage man. The link between her and witchcraft may have stemmed from a play called Black Anna's Bower, or the Maniac of the Dane Hills, which portrays the title character as similar to Shakespeare's Three Witches in Macbeth. However, unfortunately, because I would love to like look into this play, all the copies of the play script are extremely rare. There may only be two in all of existence, one at the University of Leicester and the other at Indiana University, which is kind of hilarious. How'd I get there? I don't know. No one knows. <laughs> How does anything end up in Indiana? <laughs> that would be such an interesting like, historical documentary. It's like, how'd you get to Indiana? How'd you get to Indiana? But since then, she has often been called a witch and has kind of had a new life because of it. So it would seem to me, Emma, that calling her a witch actually ignited more interest in the folktale character as people began to flock more to tales of witches. An article published in 1831 entitled Lester's Forgotten Witch recounts the long lost ritual and lore surrounding Black Anna the witch and says Lester has forgotten all its old tales of the witch but she was a very real figure to the children of a hundred years ago. So it's cool to see that back a hundred years ago, from like the 1730s, this hag creature is what scared them. And then you get into the 1830s and it's now a witch creature that's getting the interest. That is really interesting because it's like what scares, you know, people at different times. Because yeah. like as society is evolving, maybe monsters are becoming less fearsome because it's like oh we've like started learning about animals now we yeah. know what this stuff is we're good witches with magic mm. scary women with power <laughs> <laughs> so what happened to black Annis? well unfortunately her cave was filled with dirt in the late 1800s however that was not the end for our girl working class girls in the 1890s still talked about her they called her cat anna and believed that she was a witch who lived and haunted a secret underground tunnel that ran from the cellars of Leicester Castle to the Dane Hills. It's a brand new life. Now she's going through tunnels. Being a cat, kind of. Well, she's always had claws. She's always had claws. <gasps> Do you see how folklore evolves? Like, I, I love it. I, I love just, it. It's, and it's so great to hear, like, historical perspectives, and especially young women mm -hmm. talking about, you know, the witch. The but, witch. like, she's still around. Like, she could be under the floors right now. 
It's so cool. And also even like the way that we talk and we're talking right now, we kind of create new folklore from this as well. Like, I totally see a pair of, you know, girls about our age in this century being Mm -hmm. like, you've heard of Black Annis, right? Yeah, like, I actually heard that she's, like, underground in the tunnels right now, and she's called Cat Anna. I never heard of Black Annis. I've only heard of Cat Anna. Yeah, like, storytelling is such an important, you know, part of humanity. And for better or for worse, like, it's just fascinating to see how things evolve. Speaking of storytelling, we even have another story that was relayed to British storyteller Ruth Tongue in 1942 about three children running into Black Annis at Christmas time. At sunset, their evil stepmother sent them into the forest to collect firewood. The children begged her not to make them go in fear of Black Annis, who only came out after dark, for it was said daylight would turn her into stone. But their cruel stepmother insisted, so they ventured out into the dark. In the forest, strange noises in the trees caught their attention, perhaps the chattering of teeth or the shifting of branches. Unable to locate the sound, the children looked through the witch stone they had brought with them. Through the hole of the witch stone loomed Black Annis' hideous face. Screaming, the children dropped their sticks and ran as fast as they could. In her excitement at the thrill of the chase, Annis bloodied her shins on the sticks. She stopped for a moment to tend her wounds. The children ran as hard and as fast as they could, but even with the head start, it still wasn't enough. Black Annis raced behind them and caught them at their cottage door. And this may have been the end for the three children, if it had not been for their father. Hearing their screams, he came out of the house and buried an axe into Annis' face. Still, the ogress did not fall, screaming, blood, blood, as she stumbled into the direction of her cave. At last, when the Christmas bells began to toll, Black Annis fell down dead. Great that a man had to save him. <laughs> That's all you got. Jesus, fuck me. And fuck that stepmother. Yeah, and like, why on Christmas? That's something I think is interesting, because I think it's another instance of how Christianity worms its way into folklore, where it's like, oh, the tolling of the religious bells caused the witch to fall down dead. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, just around Christmas time, we don't do this much anymore, mm-hmm. but... We used to love telling ghost stories around Christmas time. I bet that that was totally an old ghost story that they would tell around the fire in Leicester. Yeah, and they're like, oh, we're theming this to Christmas. It's a Christmas story. It's like, it's the Die Hard. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this could be said at any time. Anytime. But but we're setting it during Christmas, so it's a Christmas Christmas ghost story. story. (laughs) It's the Die Hard. (laughs) Black Annis is the Die Hard. (laughs) Of English ghost stories. (laughs) After World War I, a housing estate was built and covered her entire hunting grounds. But even though all the stories say she died, you cannot stop Black Annis. Can't keep a bad bitch down. Damn right. She is an immortal hag. Who do you think you are? A man. A man? (laughs) Come now. She's adaptable. Even now that the hills are fully suburbanized, she could still be out there, haunting underground passages and maybe even roaming around the neighborhoods. Just a little stealthier than before. It's always good to hear about some some really spooky stuff because we needed some flaying back. Yeah, you know, we needed human skin skirts. Yes, we needed me to be looking up the sounds of ripping human flesh for like three or four hours a day for a while. Yeah, for all you little freaks. Yeah, you're welcome. But for now, we're done. But we'll see you next time across, across 